You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. um, This last weekend, we were able to be with some family up north in Seattle, family that we don't normally get to be with. And I was talking with with one of our relatives. Um, He's, uh, I think he's... 19, and um, just getting ready to go off to college, but just a lot of questions that I really enjoyed talking with him about. I mean, he said, you know, I've never really talked to someone who's a pastor. What is, what do you do? Well, not much. I work one day a week, and that's about it, right? But we talked about other things, and, you know, he said, what's your church going through? What, 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 what are you preaching on? What series are you in? And I said, yeah, we're in a series on generosity. He went, oh, that sounds really cool. And I said, well, let me ask you this. When you think about generosity, what is it that comes to mind? And he went, oh, money. And I said, yes, sure, that, that's true for a lot of us. But have you ever thought about generosity of relationship? Generosity with serving? generosity with your time. And he said, no. And I said, yeah, for a long time, I was the same way. But the life of generosity that Jesus calls us to as we follow him is a really holistic distinctive for us. It isn't just about what we do with our money or even our stuff. It's about how we invest our time. It's about how we invest into relationship. It's about how we serve others. So we very deliberately have taken this this time this summer, if you're new to our crew here, to spend about five weeks looking at this reality of of generosity. And it's more than just what we do with with our money. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that two weeks ago, Matt helped us see one of the dimensions of relational generosity is in how we forgive, how we extend forgiveness, even to people who don't deserve it or maybe even want it. But that is one of the ways we're relationally generous. This last week, we had church on the lawn outside, and it just sounds like it was so fantastic. Like I said, I I was up north with my family, but everybody I've talked to said it was just amazing. You know, some things we'll do differently when we bring it back next year. We'll supply a little more shade. We'll do a thing where we distribute the food a little more quickly. But, you know, it was a great time. All three services, Spanish, English, we were all together. One God. One church, one church family, it was, it was epic and fantastic. And for those of you who were there, you'll remember that Gabe asked us to tell our stories, but also to hear our stories. And that in and of itself, hear other stories, that in and of itself is, is relational generosity. It is making space, making time for relationship with others. And of course, today we're going to look at what it means to serve generously. And this was so profoundly important to Jesus that on the last night of his life, he used a very powerful object illustration to underscore what a generous life looks like when it comes to serving others. And so this is the last night before he is to face his cross and his death and then his burial and resurrection. And it's at the last supper that he had with his disciples where he models to them and teaches them what generous serving serving generously really does look like. So this is John chapter 13, and we're going to walk our way through um, this passage. So it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, some significant things going on here and some necessary background and context as we dive into this. Foot washing isn't something that most of us really have a frame of reference for. But in that time, in the ancient Near East, in that time in history, in that region, people got their feet dirty because they walked around in sandals. I mean, if I were to ask you, how did you get here this morning? Few or probably none of you would say, well, I walked here. I mean, some do. Some walk from our neighborhood, which is fantastic. I talked to someone who rode their bike first hour. I love that. But most of you drove a car here. And even if you walked here, it wasn't quite like life was back then. Because your mode of transportation was either four legs or two legs. You either rode something, but most likely you walked. And the roads were dirty, and it wasn't just dirt. There was dung and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it was, your feet were gross. And so in ancient Near East culture, as well as Jewish culture, when you came in specifically for a meal, you would wash your feet. And that was a job that no one wanted. Can you imagine washing someone's feet like that? Gross. And really devaluing and, and, and demeaning. In fact, it was so looked down upon as just the worst possible job that if you had a Jewish servant, you could not require them to do it. That's something, you know, a non-Jewish servant could do, but certainly you wouldn't want to do that. And I've wrestled this and struggled with this. What is a modern-day equivalent? And I don't know that we have it. I mean, we had somewhat of an example up here. We have five people who volunteered to go work in 100-degree heat to change other kids' diapers. Not their grandkids and their kids, but other people's kids' diapers. Or maybe it's the person who day in and day out has to change soiled linen. Or, or maybe it's the person who has to daily empty a vomit bucket. You know, who wants any of these jobs? 
And yet it was customary and expected and understood that someone would wash everyone's feet. And what's telling is that none of the disciples did it. That's really interesting. And we have a snapshot as to part of the reason why. In Luke's gospel, where he's describing the same night, he says a dispute also arose among them as to who of them was considered to be the greatest. They were too busy arguing who was the greatest, who was the most important. And yet Jesus, through his modeling and what he teaches and what he does, shows them this is what is great. Serving is greatness. So at the heart of generous serving is love. It says he loved them to the end. Another way to translate is he showed them love without limits. We serve generously because we we love other people. And I think we need to make a case for why. We need to make a sale here. Because most of us aren't bent this way. I mean, some of you are. Some of you are wired this way. Because... When you receive Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, he comes and takes what's a strength and he amplifies it and magnifies it. We call these spiritual gifts. Some of you have the spiritual gift of service. You just, you do this. And some of you are bent this way because it's your love language. It's how you show love, but it's also how you want to receive love. So you just, you naturally serve people. But even those of you who are gifted like this, who are bent this way, have days where you don't want to do it. You just don't feel like it. So, so why would you do this? I mean, in fairness, we live in a culture, as Matt helped us understand once again a couple weeks ago, where how you feel is everything. Feelings are supreme. You don't feel like doing it, you don't do it. And we're constantly told that by our broken, selfish culture. You don't feel like doing it, then don't do it. But my friends, too many of us live by our feelings rather than living by what we know. Because what is love? Is love always a feeling? No. Love is more than a feeling. Love is always an action. It is a choice. It is a decision. Sometimes you love when you don't feel like it. Jamie, my wife, has chosen to love me for over 30 years. What an easy job. I'm easy to love, right? There's, there's nothing involved with that. Why, that's absolutely not true. She loves me even when she doesn't feel like it. And I was really challenged by this reality some months ago when we had Luke Cirillo come in. He's the executive director of First Image and the Pregnancy Resource, pregnancy resource Centers here in the area. And he asked very pointedly and very necessarily, do you love this city? And don't answer, just spin cycle that, think about it. Do you love Portland? Do you love Gresham? There are days I don't. In fact, right now with what's happened to Portland especially these last couple years, I have to be really careful because I can really quickly become critical and complain and words come out of my mouth where I don't want anything to do with that part of the city. And some of those problems now are manifesting themselves here in Gresham. And I'll, I'll never forget what Luke rightfully said. He pointed out that you cannot serve that which you don't love. 
So I will ask you again, and me too, do you love this city enough that you're willing to serve it? In the name of Jesus? Many of you do, and many of you did. Yesterday was our Serve East County event, and we'd like to show you just a brief video that introduces you to some of the sights of what happened yesterday as the church, capital C, served and loved this city. Let's go ahead and roll that. Many thanks to Jeff Corcoran for running around to all these sites, getting us a little video yesterday, and especially to Jake Hansen. Grace is the coordinating church for, for Serve East County. Jake Hansen has led the charge for us. He's worked on this for months and months. He's there in the back. I'm amazed he's still awake at this point in the sermon. He probably hasn't slept in two days. He's worked so hard for us. Jake, thank you for organizing this and pulling it together. It was a very, very significant day. And Jake had a lot of help. And here's where it came from. 292 people came from eight different churches here in the Gresham area. 91 of you represented from Grace. We served two pregnancy resource centers, one in Gresham, one in Sandy, five schools in addition to East Gresham, three parks, my father's house, um, Garden of Hope. That shouldn't be Garden of Home. Your pastor can't spell, evidently. Garden of Hope. We left or donated to all these entities over $4,000 in supplies. And it's estimated that with the 292 people who showed up yesterday, that we donated in one day over a thousand hours of work to these various entities. That's pretty cool. I'm pretty, pretty excited to be a part of that. Yeah. That's an example of, of serving generously. And I know that there probably were a number of you who weren't able to be there. You had other commitments. That's okay. We're going to do this again next year. We'll give you a heads up like we did going into this summer when it's going to be. And we hope that you'll join us because that's one of the ways as a church family we try to serve generously. But there's another reason that we do this and Jesus illustrates it for us. Jesus knew that he had come from and was returning to God. That was his true identity. And the reason we love generously, we serve generously, is because it's, it's true to our identity. 
Because when you see, receive Jesus Christ into your Lord and Savior, it, whoa, what was that? When you receive Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, he changes you from the inside out and he changes your identity. And this is so fundamental and so important for us to get our heads and our hearts and our hands around because we live in a culture that is constantly telling us to create our own identity. What is the constant question that we hear all the time in many different contexts? Well, how do you identify? How do you identify? I'm not talking about gender and sexuality. That's a whole nother thing. But, but that reality pervades our culture. Our culture is constantly calling us to identify by what we have. To identify ourselves by what we've accomplished. Or to find our identity, especially in what other people say about us. And sometimes we get too much of our identity from what we do. We over-identify with what we do. And Peter is kind of speaking to this here when he says, No, you're never washing my feet, Jesus. I will not allow you to devalue yourself, to debase yourself, to lower yourself to washing my feet. There's no way you can and should be doing that. But was Jesus washing his feet a challenge to Jesus' identity? And the answer is no. He knew exactly who he was. And too many times we let what we're doing determine our value and dictate our identity. And look what Jesus goes on to say. Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And Peter intuitively gets, he certainly doesn't have it all figured out here, obviously, but he intuitively gets, okay, this is bigger than just washing the dirt and dung and yuck off his feet. And enthusiastically says, well, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash, wash my head, give me a bath. And the way this is written, it's really important for us to understand that we don't wash ourselves. Jesus washes us. And this, this is one of the many fundamental distinctives that differentiates the Bible, Christianity as a religion, if you want to call it that, as a worldview, from every other belief system and world religion out there. Because what is the prevailing message of empty religion? Clean yourself up, and then you can come to God. The Bible turns that completely on its ear and says, come as you are, dirty, broken, selfish, and God will clean you up from the inside out. You don't clean yourself up. God cleans you up. You don't give yourself a bath. Jesus washes you clean. It's a life-changing message. And it is exclusive to Christianity and to what the Bible says and to what Jesus taught. Which begs the question of you and me. So are you clean this morning? Have you taken a spirit bath? Because that's exactly what happens when you receive Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. He begins to change you from the inside out. My friends, this is why we're going to celebrate and be so excited for these folks who are getting baptized because they're showing that they have received Jesus into their lives and they've been washed clean. That's what baptism does. It beautifully illustrates what Jesus has already done by walking into someone's life, by, by them receiving them into his life. They're cleansed from the inside out in a way that no religion, no amount of work, no amount of accomplishment will ever 
addressed. That's why we celebrate baptisms. We celebrate people being clean. As it says in the New Testament book of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you've been washed clean. However, once we choose to follow Jesus by receiving him into our lives, he really does expect us to trust and obey him and to follow him. And that is where Jesus is talking about, hey, if you've had a bath, you're clean, but you do need to wash your feet and you do need to do that often. And that is symbolic of the reality of there's still this gravitational pull when we know Jesus to be selfish, to be self-focused, to be what the Bible calls sinful. And so we call that what it is, we own that, and then we disown that between us and God and when it affects other people, between us and other people, we seek and ask forgiveness. That's that daily foot washing. But we celebrate the reality that we have a God who has changed us from the inside out. And Jesus then goes on to say, what I've modeled for you, now you need to do with one another. You should wash one another's feet. Now, this is bigger than just foot washing. And this is practiced in some church cultures, and that's great. But this is more than just foot washing. This isn't saying replicate what I've done. This is saying follow the pattern. I've set an example for you for how to serve others. That there really shouldn't be any limits or lines on how far you will go to serve someone else. So let's test drive that. With the people in your life who you love, is there a line, is there a limit to how far you will go to serve them? Okay, now let's go even further. What about people who don't deserve it? What about people who will never acknowledge it? Ooh, let's go even further. What about people who have hurt you? Who have wronged you? Who are selfish? Will you serve them? Well, let's back up for a minute and think about this a little more critically. Who were the disciples? Well, they were followers of Jesus. Yeah, did life with him for three years, followed him. They were the leadership of the church when Jesus rose again. But who were the disciples? One of them was a betrayer who would send Jesus to his death. One was a denier who would deny him not once, not twice, three times publicly that he had anything to do with Jesus. And all of them were deserters. Every single one of them. So whose feet did Jesus wash? A betrayer, a denier, and a bunch of deserters. So how far will you go or where will you draw the line to serve someone? Jesus loved them without limit. And he asks the same for us. Will you serve someone who has wronged you? Will you find a way to serve someone who has hurt you? Even betrayed you? Holy cow. Talk about heavy lifting. Right? Now, in all fairness, relationships can be so profoundly complicated. You need to have necessary boundaries with people. 
And you need to think about this wisely. And of course, it can be complicated at times. And that's why we need the guidance of his word and the wisdom of the community of us together and the guidance of his Holy Spirit. Because quite frankly, it can be really difficult to figure out where those lines are. But at the end of the day, we're called to serve not just the easy people to serve like you and me. We're called to serve people. That was a joke. We are called to serve the last person you would ever want to serve. And I can tell by the looks on your faces, because I'm there too, this is a hard sell. You have, and we all do by the way, you have at least a person you can think of in your life. They may even be in your family who you're saying, there is no way. I'm not convinced. Why should I do this? Well, we save the best for last. How does Jesus end this instruction and this example? What does he say? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's not just enough to know this. We also need to live it out. But what is embedded here? A promise. There is a promise here. Let's take that for a test drive for a minute and kick the tires on that. So how many promises does God fulfill? How many? All of them. But some of you are saying, yeah, I'm not sure buying. I'm not sure I'm buying that. You just put your finger on the problem. I'm not sure I believe that. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Does God fulfill his promises or not? He does. He has a 100% track record of always fulfilling his promises. So what is he saying here? It is in my best interest. It is in your best interest to live this way. Why? Many of you get why. Many of you have experienced the blessing of serving others generously, even when they don't deserve it, even when they haven't earned it, even when you don't feel like it. And I, I don't know how to explain it, but there is a fulfillment, there is a joy that comes from serving others, even the ones who will never thank you, never acknowledge you, never give you credit. I, I don't know how to explain it. I, I honestly don't know how it fully works. I just know it works. And you do too. There were a number of you yesterday who did not feel like being out there pulling weeds, spreading bark dust, doing things that you may never get a thank you for. And you know, I'm a little little sore, a little stiff today from what I was doing. Found some muscles I didn't know I still had. That's good. And I would do it again. Because there is a joy that comes from serving others, from knowing this is what God wants my life to be and to be about. And you know, it's so amusing to me when we do vacation Bible school, which we did earlier this summer, um, that is such a major output for all of you who are a part of that. And about Tuesday of that full week, it's just amusing to me. I do this every year. I just kind of watch people walk through the doors and kids are dragging a little bit more and families are getting there a little bit later and the adults just look spent. And we're only on Tuesday. I mean, we got some days to go, right? And yet, even though we're all exhausted by the time it's done, and sometimes it takes some of us, you know, a couple weeks to recover from that, there's a joy, there's a fulfillment that says, despite being tired, despite maybe even not hearing a thank you, getting credit, whatever, that's kind of fun. I, I like that. We'll do this here in a couple months with Advent Conspiracy in December. And again, we do these large group church family things 
to give us opportunity to roll up our sleeves together and, and to serve. And some of you don't do that. And I will tell you, as your pastor, one of your pastors, there are seasons, there are times where you shouldn't serve because you can't. It's just not possible in that way, in that form, at that time. That's totally understandable. But some of you don't roll up your sleeves and serve. And quite frankly, you're missing out. You are settling for less joy, less fulfillment than the Lord wants to bless you with and that he wants you to have. And some of you are thinking, because I, I, I know how you think because you tell me, some of you are thinking, well, this is, sounds like a really subtle way to get more people involved in serving at Grace. Now we're not that subtle. We'll be direct. <laughs> in the seat backs in front of you are serve cards. Pastor Jerry and I referenced those earlier. We have a ton of ways for you to roll up your sleeves and serve on a, on a, on a weekly basis here. Some of you don't have the bandwidth to do that. We get that. In part, that's why we do service in teams around here, because you're not going to serve every single Sunday. You'll be in a team, whatever it is that you're doing. But there are some of you who come and go, and, and you never roll up your sleeves and serve. And you are missing out, and so are we. We, we, we need you. And God has called us to reach this community, to do our part, to reach this neighborhood with the good news of Jesus Christ. We believe that the hope I have and the hope that you have and the hope that all people should have is something that needs to be taught and exampled and displayed. And one of the main ways we do that is through service. So will you consider rolling up your sleeves in some way, shape, or form and joining us? I love how this is said in the message. This is a translation by a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson. And yes, it's, it's one person's translation, but it, it puts in a different flavor, a different gist of, of what Jesus was saying in regards to this. In Matthew 5.48, it says, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You're kingdom subjects. So live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. My friends, we talk about this often, but this is the reality. Living the Christian life is always a response to what Jesus has already done for you. Going back two weeks ago, why should you and I forgive people, especially people who don't deserve it? Because isn't that what God did for me and for you? You always had your act together. You deserved God's mercy and grace. Can we talk to your family and those around you? Same for mine. Why do you love people who don't deserve it? Because God has first loved you. Why do you serve people who don't deserve it? Because God has served you by sacrificing himself so that you don't have to live a selfish, unfulfilling life anymore. You can live life the way it was always intended to be. And again, in fairness, relationships are complicated. It doesn't always work out this way. But I was moved to, to share this story with you. I shared this many years ago. Some of you will remember this. Probably most of you won't, and that's okay. But this is about someone who took this reality to heart in a very difficult situation and chose to serve generously. And this is what God did. 
Good afternoon, Jay. And this email again came to me several years ago. I have held Luke chapter 6, which is about loving and serving your enemy, as the bedrock of my life. And it changed my life some 10 years ago. Because that was when my husband of 22 and a half years finally left with his mistress and left the family high and dry. I really began to understand it's easy to love friends, but boy, was it hard to love and serve someone who says they're your enemy. As I went along the journey of the divorce, there were many times I would remember, bless your enemy. And then I started to think of what fruit of the Spirit my ex-husband was lacking, and I would pray for that fruit to come into his life. I knew that it was going to be really hard to hate him if I was praying for him. I tried to teach the children this, but I'm not sure they all understood what was really going on. But today I'm so thankful for the understanding that we are called to love and serve like Christ. So today, after seven years in the courts and way too much money given to lawyers, I can honestly say that the Lord gave my heart a complete healing and my children have seen the Lord's work in their father's life. I'm not sure if he loves Jesus, but my children's father has since apologized to the children for the awful things that he did and he has apologized to me. I know that I forgave my ex many years ago, but love your enemy by serving him was what healed my heart. I cannot thank the Lord enough for healing years of pain. Why do we serve generously? Everybody? Because of what Jesus has done for us. I'd like to leave us this morning with these words from the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3, and listen to the identity statements that this makes about us. At one time, we too were foolish, deceived, disobedient, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done. No, 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 no. It wasn't about our righteousness. He saved us because of His mercy. And so He has saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having hope of eternal life. That is our story. That is our identity. So let's, know, let's now go and live that. And I want to pray for us as, if, as we do. And I'm going to pray this for myself, and I'm going to pray it for you. I'm going to pray today that the Lord would give you an opportunity to generously serve someone who comes across your path. So, Lord, I pray that for myself and for us, that we would have the opportunity to generously serve someone, someone who doesn't deserve it, isn't looking for it, may not even thank us or appreciate it. But, Lord, we serve in this way because you have first served and loved us. So we pray for the empowerment of your spirit to go and live the very life that you have created us for. Thank you that you are with us. We celebrate the reality of life change that these baptisms illustrate. And we thank you that you are the God who loves us. We pray that you will go with us now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. So now go and live for him. 
Thank you for joining us for sermon audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.